Great. Um, well, good afternoon and hope you've had a good day so far. Uh, my name is Peter. As you might have noticed as you walked in, I'm not Irena, who was supposed to be doing this talk, but um, unfortunately she's unwell, so I've got drafted in at the last minute. Um, but um, we're going to be looking at, the topic says leadership, uh, but we're going to look at a, a sort of a, an element of that, uh, specifically looking at the idea of purpose and calling and that aspect of our leadership. Now, some of you are thinking, where is this guy from? Uh, you're hearing a very strange accent. You're like, is he American? I've had American. American, I get a lot. Uh, South African, somebody the other day. Um, uh, Scottish, I don't know, all sorts. Well, I will answer the question with a little bit of background. Hey, yeah, welcome. Any seats left? You might need to be standing, standing room only, but that's all right. Keep that blood flowing. Um, <laughs> so, I am part Indian, part English, part Iranian, part Scottish, and fully confused. <laughs> all right, so that's, uh, that's a little bit about me. I, I was born and brought up in India, uh, but uh, we live now in Poole next to Dor uh, Bournemouth, um, and so and my wife is here. Now, I grew up in an international boarding school, and when we were leaving school, we had our yearbook. And you know the traditional, you have your picture, and then you have a few like quotes and stuff like that. So my quote was, I came, I saw, I petered out. All right, because I'm funny that way, you know, hilarious. I also had an ambition. You can put what your ambition is. So I put for my ambition to have one. That was my ambition. Now, it's funny when you're 18, and I genuinely didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. But when you get to 35 and you still don't know what you're going to do with your life, it's no longer funny, right? Especially not for your wife. She's like, sort it out, figure it out. Um, but I've, had, I've struggled with this idea of ambition and calling and purpose, and we're going to look at some of this uh, as we go for this afternoon. But if somebody said to you, what are the things that are required for you to live a fulfilled life? What are the things that are required for you to live a fulfilled life? Now, most of us, if we're in Sunday school, we would say, Jesus, which is true. But beyond that simplicity, I would say there are just two things that are needed for us to live a fulfilled life. The first is a clear sense of identity, and the second is a clear sense of purpose. If we have those two locked down and we live in accordance with those two, then we will live a fulfilled life. It won't matter how much money you work, how much you're making, who you're married to, if you're married, whatever, none of that. If you have a clear sense of identity and a clear sense of purpose, you will live a fulfilled life. Now I've, as I said, confused. I've struggled for many years in terms of what's my calling. I had a sense of calling. I had prophetic words spoken over me. I grew up as a pastor's kid, and people said this, this, and this. But I often thought, well, that's just going to happen. Because, you know, God said it must be going to happen, and I would just sit there on my prophetic little seat, and God's just going to wheel me around, and all these things are just going to happen. But, of course, it doesn't work that way, I've since learned. 
got to work towards it. We still need to understand. But what's the difference between calling and purpose? And what's the difference between, what about ministry? Is that different as well? How do I understand these things? And I was told this was supposed to be like a TED Talk. I don't know if you, any of you have watched TED Talks. How many of you have uh, watched the TED Talk or heard of Simon Sinek? Anybody heard of Simon Sinek, right? One of the top 10 TED Talks ever watched by probably 7 billion people. I don't know. But lots of people have watched this. So I'm going to steal what Simon Sinek talked about. He talked about this idea of start with why or what makes leaders inspirational. And so he argued that a lot of organizations, when they're trying to sell you something, they're trying to sell you a product, which is the what, right? What are they trying to sell you? So you might say, what are you trying, you might say, okay, what are you buying? I'm buying a phone, right? That's what, now that's the what. They might also sometimes go as far as saying how they actually make that phone. So we use the latest G1.xyz chip or whatever it is. And they tell you a little bit about the how. He says very few companies will tell you about the why. Not why you should buy that phone, but why does that company actually exist? So his main example would be Apple. Apple back in the sort of late 80s, early 90s, Apple's whole reason for existence was to break the mold. I don't know if you've ever seen that 1984 ad for the Apple Mac. Have you seen it? Go Google 1984 ad. Right? It's all about the idea of breaking the mold. And unfortunately, Apple have become so successful that they are now the mold, but that's a different story. <laughs> How many of you have seen, some of you are old enough to remember white earphones. Anybody remember the Apple white earphones ads, right? Gabriel, you're not old enough for that. <laughs> but now, those of you who remember it, it was what? Just a silhouette of somebody listening to music and white earphones. Didn't tell you anything else. You remember that now, right? Didn't tell you, what didn't even say, these are earphones. It didn't say why you should buy those earphones. It was all about break the mold. And from until then, we all used black earphones, and Apple said, you know what, we're going to break the mold, and we're going to do white ones. Now we all use white ones. It was the why. That's why people bought it, because they wanted to break the mold. That's the whole point. So I'm going to use this to help us understand this idea of leadership, purpose, calling, etc. Why? Why do you exist? Why are you here? What is your purpose? It's one of the most fundamental questions we need to understand. We ask ourselves, we're all, especially your younger generations, very much the idea of purpose is much higher than it was for older generations. Older generations, were, don't ask stupid questions. I go to work, I earn money, I put food on the table, my kids are happy, they're all right, that's my purpose in life. But younger generations, we're quitting because we're like, well, this nine to five nonsense, this isn't cutting it for me. I'm, I'm here for more. The idea of purpose. And if we don't know what our purpose is, we will find meaning 
in everything else around us, in material things, in money, in job, in status, in cars, in people we hang out with, and so on and so forth. And that's true for us as Christians as well. Maybe you're frustrated with where your life is at the moment. Maybe you feel you should be up here, but you're still back here. Maybe it's you that's holding you back. Maybe it's somebody else you feel is holding you back and you're not quite where you should be, could be. Oh, I should have achieved this. I should have done that. And I say, if you're confused or frustrated, it's probably because you're not sure what your purpose is. You've forgotten what your purpose is or you're ignoring what your purpose is. So what is your purpose? It's the same as Jesus' purpose. The reason Jesus came and the reason Jesus existed. Now you might say, well, Jesus exists to what? He was, you know, the, the angels prophesied to Mary and said, you will call him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins, right? So we might say, well, is that the purpose? Was that the purpose of Jesus, to save people from their sins? And I would argue, no. You're like, wait, what? Heresy? Stop. Why do I say that? Because did Jesus die to save people from their sins? Yes, but it was just a means to an end. Our salvation is not an end in itself. Our salvation is a means to an end. And what is that end? Turn with me to Luke chapter 4, verse 43. Verse 42, Luke 4, 42 and 43. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place, and the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them, Verse 23, but he said to them, and this is in the ESV, I must preach what? The good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. Jesus was sent to preach the good news of the kingdom of God. And when he says preach, he doesn't mean I'm just going to say words and disappear and I've done my job. No, when he says preach the kingdom of God, he's saying I'm talking about the restoration. I'm talking about the establishment. I'm talking about the expansion of the kingdom of God here on earth as it was back in Eden, back in the day. It's a restoration of God's complete and total rule on earth. That was Jesus's purpose. Stay with Luke, go to Luke chapter 9. Verses 1 and 2. And he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons to cure diseases. And he what? He sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. If you want to know what your purpose is, I would suggest it is this one thing. It is the restoration, the establishment and the expansion of God's kingdom here on earth. That is your purpose until Christ returns. That's it. That is your why. Why do you exist? For the kingdom of God. Isn't that exciting? 
There is nothing bigger, nothing better, nothing more exciting to know that you are a conduit for the kingdom of God. Wherever you are, whoever you meet, whatever you do, it is all for this reason, for the kingdom of God. The restoration, the establishment and the expansion of God's kingdom here on earth, wherever you are. That is your why. That is your why. So we look now at the how. Okay, so what is the how for us? The how is how we live our lives. How do we live our lives? So what is your how? I would suggest Mark chapter 12 and verse 30. So I've signed it verse 28. We know this. The scribe comes to Jesus and says, which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, verse 29, the most important is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So your why is the restoration, the expansion and the establishment of God's kingdom. How do you do that? You do that by loving God, loving your neighbor as you love yourself. There's the trinity of that. We understand loving God. We sort of understand loving our neighbor as long as they're neighbors that we like and fits in with our little categories. Right? But God's calling us to love all our neighbors, our noisy neighbor, the one that plays drum and bass at 3 a.m. in the morning, the one that's very vitriolic in their political views, the one that is gay or maybe not gay or he's not sure what, or the one that is from a different country, the one that barely speaks English. God is calling us to love our neighbor. That is how we restore and expand and establish the kingdom of God. But we also, it's fascinating that Jesus says, as you love yourself. Why does Jesus say that? He says, as you love yourself, because we cannot love people if we don't love ourselves. If we don't see God's love for us, we will struggle to see God's love for others. There have been times, you'll know this. There are times when you are angry with yourself, when you're disappointed in yourself, when you're frustrated with yourself. How short is your temper with other people? Right? Because our love for others will be dependent on how much we love and accept ourselves. There is an element to that. So Jesus says we need to learn to love one another. And that goes back to that identity. We struggle to love ourselves if we don't have a clear sense of identity in Christ. The fact that we are accepted. We are secure and we are significant because of who we are in Christ, not because of any other thing. And we need to come back. That's why I say the two things that you need to live a fulfilled life, a strong, clear sense of identity in Christ and a clear sense of purpose. All right, so we've got the why, we've got the how. Now for the what. Now for Simon Sinek, the what is the product or the output, right? It's the headphones, it's the mobile phone, it's the car that... For us, our what is the outworking of our why and our how. Now I say for all of us, our why is the same. For all of us, our how is the same. But the what will be different for every single one of us. Because we're all unique. 
right? This is the area where we might say this is our calling. What is your calling as an individual? What is the way in which you will outwork your purpose and your how? And where will you be called? Some of you may be called to different nations. Some of you to different people groups within your nation. Some of you to specific areas within your city. Some of you to a particular issue. Some of you might be called to entrepreneurship, to preaching. Some of you might be called to leading worship or to working with a particular uh, uh, anti sort of people who have been trafficked. You might, whatever it might be, there's lots of different ways in which your why and your how will be outworked, which is quite unique to you. We often get confused between purpose and calling, and my point is your purpose will always remain the same. Whatever you do, it is for the restoration, the establishment, and expansion of God's kingdom. How you do it will always be the same, by loving God, loving neighbor as you love yourself. But what you do in order to do that will change from person to person, from season to season. So if we take uh, my example, which I wrote out earlier. So this is it. Your purpose is your why, your love, your how, your calling. <laughs> just did that, just to wake people up. No. Um, <clears throat> so for me, my purpose is to restore the kingdom, restore, establish, and expand the kingdom of God. That's my purpose in life and your purpose in life. How do I do that? Loving God, loving my neighbor as I love myself. What, what is my calling? My calling is to help people become truer versions of themselves. So whether that I'm in a Christian setting, a non-Christian setting, when people say, what's your mission in life? Or even if they don't say it, I will tell them. Right? <laughs> this is my calling, to help people become truer versions of themselves. Now, that is my life calling. I only figured that out in my 40s. Yes, I'm that old. Um, but for some of you, what that looks like may be very different in different seasons of my life. Or even within that. So I may be working out that calling whether it's through discipleship, whether it's through preaching or teaching, whether it's through what I do as a day job, which is working with large businesses across the world, helping their teams to become more effective, etc., doing psychometric tools. So I'm working out my calling in all of these spaces. Now, we don't always, it, like I said, it's taken me to my 40s to figure that out. But your calling can be seasonal. Not everybody has a life calling, and it's okay. It's okay. It really is okay. If you say, if somebody says, what's your calling in life? You just say, look, for the moment, for this season, this is what I feel called to. And that's okay. Don't have that pressure. Don't have that pressure. It may come to you. It may never come to you. There are some people in, in our church years ago, they were both 21 getting married. Right? Both of them studying to be doctors because they felt God was calling them to be missionaries in Africa. Who made me sick. <laughs> <laughs> I was 35 being their wedding photographer as a side business. And I'm like, come on, God. Tell me, what am I supposed to do with my life? There's nothing wrong with being a wedding photographer, by the way. Just. But you know what it is. So, but a question. This is about leadership as well. Are you called to leadership? How many of you in this room are called to leadership? Some of you are thinking, you're scratching. Hey, we got two people. Great. You're in a leadership seminar for crying out loud. Come on. You are all called to leadership. Every single one of you. How do I know that? I don't know you, most of you. 
How do I know that every single one of you is called to leadership? Why? Because leadership is nothing but, I'm going to write this down. Leadership is nothing but influence. And are you called to influence people? Are you called to influence people? Yes. Are you called to influence people? Yes. Are you called to leadership? Yes. There we go. Now, that doesn't mean that you're called to lead a ministry. There is a difference between leading and leadership. Because leadership is nothing but influence. I'm confusing some of you right now. Okay? You are called to leadership doesn't mean that you will lead a church, lead a ministry, or lead anything. You can still be a leader in a supporting role. Right? You can still be a leader in a supporting role. I work for a business. I was the chief financial officer for, for an, not a business, for an anti-trafficking organization. I wasn't the CEO, but am I in a position of leadership? Yes. Am I leading the organization? No. But I'm a position of leadership. There's a difference between leadership and leading. You are all called to leadership. Some of you will be called to lead. Isn't that great? So how many of you are called to leadership? There we go. All right. Great. That's that leadership point done. Uh, so. All right. Quickly, how do we find our calling? How do you find your calling? There are three ways in which you can find your calling that I would suggest. I'll try and find it. My wife will say, just write it again. Stop flipping charts. Here we go. All right. Top one. First one, gift-based. What are you good at? What do you enjoy doing? And no, eating isn't one of those things. That's not, that's not a calling. I'm called to eat. Um, <laughs> what do you enjoy doing? What are the gifts that God has given you? Do you enjoy uh, playing an instrument, playing sport, doing craft, building businesses? Um, I don't know, whatever, you know, working with children, uh, parenting. Yes, some people do enjoy parenting. Um, I'm kidding. We do. Um, you know, do you enjoy generosity, taking people out for coffee, for meals, hospitality? What is it that you are naturally gifted at or you've built a skill at? That's, your start. That's a great starting point to think about, well, what's my calling? If you're not sure of your strengths, ask people around you, what do you think I'm good at? Maybe take an assessment. There are lots of online assessments. I, I found uh, Strength Finders very helpful. It, uh, you do usually have to pay for that. Another one that I've used is called Standout Assessment. I would encourage all of you to do this. Standout Assessment. Type in Standout Assessment. Marcus Buckingham. Not now, but later. I found that very helpful. So with Strength Finders, it said, um, when I did it, it said, psychology, counseling, and educational interest may hold great appeal to him as part of his business role. And I'm an executive coach. My standout assessment says that people's performance improves when I'm around. That's my greatest gift. And I work with global businesses to help their teams get better. Right? That, but I, so that's why now I can tell you that my calling is to help people become truer versions of themselves. I only knew that because I did these assessments. Right? It wasn't some spiritual revelation. It was just, well, actually, this is how God's wired me. That's it. Right? So gift-based. The second one is grace-based. 
Do you have a special grace for a particular demographic, a particular people group, a particular age, a particular language, a particular geography, maybe a particular issue? Do you have a special grace for it? When somebody starts talking about a particular country, do you, do you come alive? When somebody starts talking about a particular topic or some sort of injustice, does your blood start to boil and you start to get... If people talk about a certain thing, do you then get really excited and you just go on and on and on and people are like, shut up already. Right? Do you have a grace for a particular people group or language or topic or issue? Does that... Make your heart. What makes you passionate? What stirs you with a righteous anger? What stirs you with excitement when that comes up? Think about those things. And the second element of grace-based is it, whatever you do needs to be rooted in grace. Remember, your calling is a grace. You may be really gifted at something. I think that's somebody reversing. <laughs> <laughs> They've had enough. We're getting out of here. Um, it needs to, not out of selfish ambition, not out of trying to prove yourself, trying to say, well, I'm going to do this because I want everybody to know. Remember, your why is the restoration, establishment, and expansion of God's kingdom. Your calling is never a way to earn God's favor. It's always based out of grace. It's easy, or it's possible, rather, to pursue calling and forget your purpose. And that's a really scary thing. Think about King Saul from the Bible. He was called to lead Israel, but he forgot the purpose behind it and fell into trouble. I've had a friend who had a, has a strong calling on his life, but he forgot that his purpose was the restoration of God, and he fell into trouble because of that and really struggled. So we need to come back to our why and our how when we're looking at our calling. And finally, it needs to be group-based. Your calling is not something that you will ever do on your own. It's always within community. When Jesus sent out the disciples, he always sent them out in twos or more. And the same will be true for you. You need to now, that doesn't mean that somebody might come along with you. If you get called to Burkina Faso, Right? You might struggle to find people who are willing to come along with you, but you still need that support community. You don't just say, well, I'm off to do this. Nobody else sees my vision, my calling, and I'm just going to go ahead. No, it always needs to be done community because that's a safe space and that's a biblical model. So if you're not sure what your calling is, look at your gifts, look at your heart, and look at your community. And that's a good starting point to help you sort of start to think about your calling. Now, when I say your calling, remember, it's a, most often it's seasonal, right? You will have a calling for a season. Again, please don't try and pursue this whole, I need to know what my life calling is. Your life calling is the restoration, the expansion, the establishment of the kingdom of God. How you do that is by loving God, loving your neighbor as you love yourself. Within that, there will be times when God calls you to a specific task or ministry or people group etc right so don't get too hecked up about all that so the title is connecting future plans with god's leadership calling i would propose a quote from arthur ash who is a, a tennis player used to be a tennis player 
He said, and this is attributed to him, whether he said it or not, I don't know. I wasn't there. He says, start where you are, use what you have, do what you can. That is the best way to connect your future plans with God's leadership calling on your life. Start where you are, use what you have, do what you can. And that's how you do that. I hope that helps. Any questions? It can be on leadership, it can be on anything, whether we've touched this, calling, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So I think it comes down to levels of responsibility, fundamentally. So if you are leading a team ministry, then you are responsible to make sure that the rotor's done, that people turn up, uh, that there is a vision, you're sharing the vision, etc. And so you have a responsibility to lead that. Um, and that's quite clear. Leadership is just you existing, fundamentally. Because if leadership is influence, so even if you're not leading a team ministry, you're able to provide leadership to those within that team. So you can also motivate people. You can also, you know, say, hey, guys, let's do this. Let's, it doesn't sort of all sit with the leader. You've still got influence. So that's the way I would do it. Responsibility is leading. Influence is leadership. Sometimes they're the same thing. Yeah. Sure. Okay. <laughs> uh, sorry, just looking at my wife, not just staring at some random person. Um, <laughs> he's like, he's making eyes at this woman. Um, <laughs> um, uh, so, sorry, just to come back to the question. Yeah, so some symptoms of how do you sort of know? I think part, it comes back to two things. One is um, the grace and the grace for it, and so, and the, and within the group. So if you've forgotten your purpose, there will be, you will start to derive, therefore, your sense of significance from your calling. And when you start, therefore, to find frustrations where people aren't valuing me, people aren't recognizing me, people aren't doing what I've told them to do, or I'm not being given the, the space to, to, to bring my own ideas. I can understand those are natural frustrations. But when it starts to be the, the sort of in, influence more of the way that you're thinking, the way that you approach, uh, you know, church leaders and so on, then you're starting to move. That's a symptom of you saying, actually, it's, about, it's all about my calling and I'm forgetting my purpose, which is the restoration, expansion and establishment of God's kingdom. And I'm stopping doing it by loving God, loving my neighbor and myself. There's something wrong there. Um, so I think that's one thing. I think where you, the other symptom is where you start, you realize that you're doing things out of your own, um, your own strength. 
uh, you're starting to get dry. Now, of course, within anything, you'll have dry seasons, etc. But if there's a long dry season, then you know that that's a symptom of actually, have I forgotten what the purpose is? Um, you, you lose joy for a long period of time, essentially. Because if, we, if we're fulfilling, like I said, that fulfillment, if we're clear on our identity, clear on our purpose, we will live a fulfilled life. Doesn't mean we're, we're, life will be easy. That's not what I said, right? You will live a fulfilled life. So it will always come back to that. Am I feeling fulfilled in this? If not, am I feeling joyous in this, in serving even when it's difficult? If not, I need to come back to that. that so those would be symptoms, yeah. Okay. Yes. Yes. What was the question? So for, if you couldn't hear it, so the question is, how do you, in a world where Christian um, ideology, let's use that term rather than opinions, um, it, Christian ideology isn't so welcome, how do you stick to the purpose of expand, restoring the kingdom of God when people aren't sort of wanting to listen to you or it's, you know, against culture, etc.? I think fundamentally, so I was reading a book that I would encourage everybody to, to, to read. Uh, it's called um, How to Share Your Faith Without Being That Guy by a guy called Sam Chan. Brilliant book on evangelism, the E word, um, but it's a fantastic book. And what, How to Share Your Faith Without Being That Guy by Sam Chan. Um, and he says the most important thing to do when you're sharing your faith is to listen. It's to listen. When people know that you've heard them, they're willing to hear you. And that's really the simplest answer I could give. And come back to the how. Am I loving them? Or is this more about me trying to be right? right? And that, when, when you love your neighbor by listening to them, then they know, like they say, people don't care what you know until they know that you care. Quick, quick. All right. <laughs> Sorry. Yes, Priscilla. Yes, yeah. Um, so one of the things that they talk about in that book, How to Share Your Faith also, is this idea, and, and just be, be cognizant of, and this comes back to that leadership, this comes back to the purpose, etc. Wherever you are, influence. He talks about you will end up being the chaplain to those around you. <coughs> when you learn to listen, suddenly in your workplace, with your flatmates, with your roommates, etc., there will come times where they will call you up and say, hey, I'm going through a really difficult time. You know, I just want to talk about this, etc." And, and so you, you, by default, you will often become the chaplain of that place. There will be people who will, um, yeah, who will be willing to listen. Was that a question? Yeah, yeah kind of. I don't have to articulate it, but I'm going to try it. Um, Where you know, 
I mean, obviously keep your family and stuff. So it's like, do you get what I'm trying to Sure. Yeah, yeah. How do you like... How do you fulfill your calling yeah, yeah. while feeding your family? Is that what you're saying? While... Yeah, yeah, like, there's just, yeah, just... Because sometimes it might be like, oh, this ain't the same as feeding your family, but you see what I'm saying? But you also you don't, you don't want to neglect the calling in your life. Sure. Yeah, it, it comes back to, I mean, it, it, there, again, there are, some people will be called to a, they will have a grace for living with less. Yeah. Right, I'm going to use that, right? So they will have a grace for that, and that's, the, that's why it's grace-based. Right? You're not, nobody's forcing them into that, but they just say, I have a grace to live out in rural India, Africa, England, whatever, and I just live with less, and that's okay. We make it meet, and hopefully their wife or husband also has the same grace, because that's otherwise tricky. But, so you might have a grace for that. But also I would say, coming back to the how, love your neighbor. Well, who's your most immediate neighbor? It's your family. So you've got to love them, and how do you, you know, there is a calling to, to provide for your family, to love your family, of course. Um, and you've just got to say, well, what does that look like for us as a family, you know? And do we have the grace to live this way? If so, great. If you don't feel you have a grace, don't be under the pressure to, uh, to live in a particular way or to be. Um, but because, see, it comes, and this is the joy of understanding your why. The reason we get so hecked up is because we focus on calling, but we forget our why. You see, you can be involved in the restoration, expansion, and establishment of the kingdom of God doing anything. Whatever you are doing today, you are fulfilling, you are, it is contributing to your why. Right? So that releases you. Actually, the calling is seasonal. It isn't, doesn't make or break what I'm, whether I'm fulfilling my why or not. Whatever you do, wherever you are, however much money, however little money you're making, you can still be fulfilling your purpose, which is the restoration, expansion, and establishment of God's kingdom. You're welcome. <laughs> How are we doing for time? We've got some time. Any other questions? Remember, if you're thinking it, somebody else is probably thinking it. Did I miss out anything? Anything you want to add, Priscilla? I think there was a so there was a question from the previous group that I think people found very valuable. Um, sometimes we talked about calling can be quite seasonal, right? So you feel like you've 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 served in a particular ministry, you felt fulfilled in that, and that has come to an end or it's coming to an end, and you're not sure what's next. How do you sort of deal with that in between that transition season? And my wife had a great answer, so I'm going to ask her to repeat that. Because I know that was particularly helpful for the last, and maybe some people are thinking about it. Or if not, you'll get value from it. Fine. All right. So the question in the last group was about um, understanding seasonals and how, how they end. And I think um, we, we spent about seven years uh, in India. Uh, in, uh, and we, um, after that seven-year period, we came through a series of frustrations that emerged from different uh, elements. So we went to help plant a commission church in the city of Bangalore and we also had um, we were working with a um, non-profit there 
Um, and there were just a series of different things that happened uh, with the government and with things that were changing in our family and just and we just were like this is this is weird there are just too many of these and we wondered if there was a it was a coming to an end so one of the things we did was uh, use the group based approach and so we asked people who um, were around us and people who have spoken over our lives, so like Guy and Heather Miller and the Indian Apostolic team and stuff. And we said, what do you think? We're feeling these things. So people have emailed us dreams they've had about our family. We're think sensing God might be bringing the season to an end. And they said, yeah, based on everything you've said, this, this sounds right. This sounds like this season of your life is uh, possibly coming to an end. And I think God's got something else lined up for you. But also it, whenever in my life I found that whenever there have been these seasonal changes uh, <clears throat> between the seasons there are, is a period of transition and sometimes that transition is quite a hard place it can be feel like a wilderness place it can feel like a place that is really dry yeah. and you feel like I don't know where I'm going I don't know what's happening I'm really finding it hard to hear God and mm. I've just ended this kind of thing and I have found that in those moments of being in this wilderness season is I felt God was saying, you know, just press through. I'm inviting you into the wilderness. I'm inviting you into this journey that I want you to seek me even more because I'm preparing you for the next season where you're going to draw from all this stuff that I've spoken over you and spoken into you. And so I've just been reminded sometimes that when I'm in this transition, that's fine. I just embrace the journey, just embrace what God is doing because he's preparing just me for the next season. And so much of that comes back to, it's in those wilderness moments that your identity is in question. You see, we get so much of our identity from what we do. So much. And actually God leads us through those wilderness to say, hey, where's your identity? Isn't it what, is it what you do or isn't it, is it in who you are and who I've made you? And that's why those wilderness seasons, those transition seasons are so helpful. Come back into that place of who are you? Who am I in Christ? I'm accepted. I'm secure. I'm significant. And that's really important. I went through a season many years ago of really just very low confidence uh, with what I was doing in my work. And uh, for me, there were two things that found, I found really helpful. One is getting a, a coach, an executive coach, to coach me through it. Um, and, but the second thing was to go back to my identity. And you can, if you look up online, look for Who I Am in Christ or Freedom in Christ books, they have a lot of, yeah, those three things. I'm accepted, I'm secure, I'm significant, and verses. And I got it done nicely. I laminated it, stuck it on my shower, wall and every day when I was stood there for how many minutes I'm there I would speak that out loud and just remind myself day in and day out I'm accepted I'm secure I'm significant come back to that identity piece so so important as well yeah any other questions we've got time for maybe one or two more um, what happens when you feel that what you are being called to do is too big and I know that sometimes it's more about like yeah praying and saying to God like yeah I'm willing to do it but at the same time what happens when you say well maybe it's not the time mm. like I'm receiving the call and I'm willing to do it but maybe I'm not preparing that and that kind of things that sure. struggle and I think that that is a question that probably most of the people sometimes have yeah 
Um, so I, I would I would be reminded of the story of David there because he had a calling that so Samuel anointed him and said there was this anointing over his life. It was huge. But then he went back to look after the sheep. Yeah. And um, I just felt like sometimes we get these major prophetic words. And when I look at my books about the words that have been said over me when I was 15 and 16, like these really big callings, I think, oh, I, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do. <laughs> but, you know, I just went back to doing whatever I, I was, whatever ministry I was leading or, or helping out at that point. And I think that shaped and, and changed my character more than anything. I think of David and he just practiced the slingshot yeah. you know with the bear and the lion and those things when he was then called on the battlefield he was ready yeah. and i think god is sometimes just saying you know he's putting us in these small environments to not only shape our gifting but mostly our character yeah, <laughs> because that character gets called into question so many times especially in the space of identity and i think for me those have been the most critical things of knocking down the pride and knocking down these things to reshape reshape to what god so when you're there in those bigger places, when the calling that you received when you were younger is fulfilled, the character has been molded along the way to take uh, to enable us embrace the big calling. <clears throat> yeah, what she said. Um, <laughs> yeah. Sure. Very, very good question. Is it wise to keep company for those who don't see or honor the calling uh, on your life? <clears throat> and therefore make you feel insecure, possibly. Potentially. Potentially, yeah. yeah. I think um, if they're friends, I, I, would, I, I think there will always be people who are... Um, who you will have a spectrum of people, people who are totally bought into your, your calling or your vision, uh, who will come alongside you, who will strengthen your arms, be there for you, encourage you. There will be some who will stand at a, a distance um, and, you know, come in and out of your circle. And there will be some who are just like, well, we don't, we don't get you. Um, and, but you still want to be friends with them. And I think, you know, we don't want to, Remember, the calling is the restoration and the expansion and establishment of God's kingdom. And if these guys, if they're not Christians, then of course, you know, they may not understand your, what that means. But you still love your neighbor and you love God and you still do that. If it's a matter of does that make you feel insecure, we come back to the identity piece. Um, but there are, I would also say there are people who are toxic. So that's a whole different category. And if there are people who are toxic or narcissistic, you just have to make that decision to say, I'm, I'm taking space because this isn't good for, good for me and you don't need that in your life. Um, we've had to pull away from toxic people and narcissists before. And um, so, yeah. So it depends on where they're at. You know, there may be like, that, that's a whole spectrum there. Excellent. I think we're spot on time. So how many of you are called to leadership? Excellent. What is your purpose in life? It is the restoration. restoration, establishment, expansion of God's kingdom. How do you do that? Love God, love your neighbor as you love yourself. And what that will look like for you, look at your gifts, look at the grace that you have, 
and look at the community that you're in. Have a great evening. <laughs>